it looks right now like, uh, as at least we're on a course, it looks like we're going to war. I got an email the other day. I, I was supposed to be going to a wedding in a couple of months uh, for a relative on my stepmother's side of the family. And they wrote to tell us that it's been canceled because uh, the man has been uh, activated in the service. And you'd think Uncle Sam would be nice enough to say, oh, you, oh yeah, we, you're getting married. Okay, well, then forget it. Uh, but no, you know, when, when they call you into duty, you go into duty. And so the wedding had to be canceled. And it's just hitting home. Uh, in the first service, I talked to several people who have children who are over their kids who are in the military service. Uh, I no doubt there are f- some in this auditorium who have got people in the service uh, and or m- who maybe are on reserves or maybe who are, have been called to go into service and will be leaving shortly. I don't know. But the reality of this war is, is getting close. Um, whatever you think about it, that's the fact. And in fact, it may be the case as things are going right now, just to up the ante of nervousness a little bit more, uh, that it's foreseeable, at least, that North Korea would be involved in some kind of conflict uh, here in, in the future. We don't know. But war is on our mind. It's on everyone's mind. President Bush spoke at great length about it in the State of the Union address this last week. Now, some of us have a glamorous idea of what it is to be in the military. We see the recruiting films. And they're glamorous, you know, they're cool, they're hot. They, you know, they got these good-looking guys and gals who are running at supernatural speed through the desert and climbing mountains, and, and uh, you know, they look like a, a, a turbocharged version of the Terminator or something. And, and the idea is that if you join the army, you can be all you can be. And it, it, it sounds cool, you know, it's catchy. Uh, I thought it would be really good for us to get a real slice, however, of what military life is like. And you'll see how this fits into my sermon here in a little bit. And I tried to find a film clip that would show the reality of military life, but I couldn't get one that had language clean enough to show in a church. Uh, you know, we, we, we definitely push the envelope around here, but there are limits. <laughs> you'll be happy to know. Uh, and so I was kind of frustrated about this. I, I didn't know, um, how am I going to, you know, really get home uh, the reality of what it is to be a military life. I thought if only I knew somebody who was in the service, you know, that I could interview, you know. And, and, uh, but I don't. I don't know, don't know anyone. And so I, I, on the way to church, I got this idea uh, on Wednesday about interviewing somebody, but I didn't have anyone to interview. Walk into church. I go into the lounge uh, where we take our breaks, and there's a guy filling the vending machines there. That's his company. Fills the vending machines. And we start talking about the State of the Union address that occurred the night before. And lo and behold, it turns out this guy was in the service. And, uh, and he goes to church here. And so I said, would you like to help me preach a sermon? <laughs> and, he, and he said, oh, I'd love, love to. <laughs> no, I, I, he was a little nervous. But uh, he, he, you know, being a military man, said, I'll rise to the occasion. And so I'd like to a- ask Anthony to come up here. And we're going to do a little interview. <laughs> Anthony, come on down. <laughs> sir, yes, sir. You may have noticed that I got a military haircut just for the occasion. You know, it's like, I wanted to, you know, uh, uh, play the part. Okay, um, uh, Anthony, can you just tell us a little bit about uh, when you were in the service and why you joined the service? Well, I joined in uh, 86 through 89. Um, One of the principal reasons I joined uh, the military was uh, uh, the Beirut bombing. Uh, When that happened, I got kind of... uh, Mad about it, and uh, <laughs> Thank I you. wanted that was to uh, go over and kick some butt. Is what I wanted to do. Okay, so 
This Beirut bombing sort of like woke you up to the reality of hostile forces or something and that you wanted to defend the country? Right. You know, I kind of, you know, I did, was kind of in a, uh, a daze about what was going on in the country, but when that happened, that uh, really opened my okay. eyes to serve this country. Okay. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what a typical day in boot camp would be like? Well, it started around 3 or, you know, 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. 3.30 uh, or 4 o'clock in the morning? Right. Uh, the drill instructor would come and uh, wake us up. They woke you up with nice music and, you know, a massage or something? Uh, not quite. <laughs> uh, usually it was a, a bunch of screaming, a bunch of hollering, uh, trash cans rolling down the center of the aisle. I mean, whatever it, whatever it took to jar you out of that bed, okay. they did. At 3.30 or 4 in the morning. Right. Uh, you're saying that as a civilian you didn't customarily get out of bed at 3.30 or 4 in the morning? No, more like 3.30 or 4.30 in the afternoon. Ah, <laughs> A slight lifestyle change there. So why did you get out of bed at 3.30 or 4 in the morning? Well, basically because we were told to, okay. uh, and we had to, follow, we had to follow our orders. Okay. Uh, what, what would happen after that? You'd have coffee and well, tea? Not really. Uh, we would uh, end up down uh, on the uh, street, and we'd march off to do calisthenics, do exercises, and maybe run a brief run. That run a brief run? What would be a brief run? About a mile and a half to two miles. Really? I, I, you know, I, I've, I've seen movies. Uh, and do, do they really do that thing where they, you know, they, they kind of sing while you're running? I don't know what I believe. I'll be on my Christmas Eve. So, do, they, do you guys do that? Yeah, but it's a little bit more uh, involved in that. <laughs> I don't know what I believe. Why, why, why do they do that? Well, that kind of uh, gives a sense of camaraderie and, you know, people working together, you know, gives, a, okay. gives, a, gives the platoon something to kind of gel to. Esprit de corps. Esprit okay. de corps. Okay, so um, then after the calisthenics, uh, what after happens? After the calisthenics, then we would have breakfast. Yeah, breakfast, go to a nice restaurant, get a menu, and get to choose what you eat? Uh, no, not quite. What kind of stuff did you eat there? Uh, one of the favorite meals of our drill instructors was duck. And duck. that would be duck in, duck out. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's supposed to be a joke. Why, well, <laughs> why do they call it duck in and duck well, out? Well, it's duck in and duck out because it's, uh, you go in there, you eat your food, and you get out. You know, there's no time to waste. Uh, they Shovel it down. Was, yeah. Okay, and, and then, then what do you do after your duck in, duck out exercise? After we uh, eat our meal, uh, it's more of the same calisthenics, more doing maneuvers and uh, just, uh, you know, left, right. Uh, forward, back, up, that, that, down. That, that gun thing that they always do? Right. Okay. Is that that thing? Something like All that. All right. See, hey. <laughs> am I, this is why I had to get a guest speaker to do this because I don't know anything about the military. I have a Hollywood version of it. Um, could, would they, were you able to, like, you know, uh, when you, just say to the officer, listen, I, I'm really not in the mood today. I, I like to sleep in a little bit longer or, you know, I tell you what, I'll make you a deal. I'll go a half mile instead of a mile and a half. Uh, were, were they open to that? Uh, no, not really. We really didn't have a choice. Uh, when the, when the uh, commanding officer said uh, jump, uh, we didn't even ask how high. We just jumped as high as we could. All right. Uh, when he said uh, move left, we moved left. When he said move right, we moved right. And, and that's that, how it was morning to night? Morning till night. Okay. Uh, it, it sounds like the difference between civilian life and military life was, was pretty drastic, and some things had to change. What were some other things that you had to give up when you, were, uh, when you went into the military? Well, uh, one of the things I had to give up, you know, was family. I had to give up friends. I had to give up a, a lifestyle that I wanted to lead on my own. I had to learn to take orders. I had to uh, learn to not even 
not only take orders, but learn to obey orders. And you did all that, you were willing to do all that just so you could kick some butt. I was willing to do all that. All right. That's correct. Uh, what did you get out of it? I mean, what, how did it change you? Well, I was transformed by the Marines um, into a, just a new man, a new creation. I was uh, a fighter, a warrior. Um, I learned our, uh, integrity, uh, honesty, uh, camaraderie, you know, just working together as one. So do you think the slogan, be all you can be by joining the Army or the Marine Corps, is somewhat accurate? Uh, somewhat accurate and then some. All right. Thanks. I appreciate it. Give him a hand. Thanks for serving our country. There's a world of difference, you can see, between being a civilian and being in the military. World of difference. Now, the reason I bring all that up is because, according to the New Testament, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you, in a very real sense, join the army. Uh, You are no longer a civilian. To make Jesus Christ Lord of your life means you've made him captain of your life, and you're now part of the army. The reality is, is that the church is an army, and every particular local expression of the church is a platoon. Uh, you, you enlist in the army when you uh, surrender your life to Jesus Christ. A lot of people have an idea of church that it's sort of a religious bless me club. It's the place where you go to get your needs met and, and you go so that you get something out of worship and you get something out of preaching and you get something out of children's church and it's there to meet your needs and make your life a little bit better and a little bit sweeter and a little bit more successful and give you three things to think about throughout the week and whatnot. But the reality of the situation, if we're understanding things in scriptural terms, is that what we're doing here, we're an army. And, and I'm sort of the, the commander in, in charge of this platoon, and Jesus is the general. And the whole purpose for our getting together is, is to get further instructions about how to carry out uh, our assignment within the context of this war. Yes, there is a war. Again, most Americans are systematically conditioned not to know that there's a war. And it's not a physical war. We're not fighting for physical land. We're not uh, using physical bullets. You can't see the bombs and the grenades and the bullets going off in this war. But it's a real war nonetheless. The way the Bible describes the situation is that there was this rebellion of some sort before uh, human history even began, so far as we can tell, where there was a, uh, a mutiny, as it were, in the angelic realms, and Satan and a number of other angels rebelled against God, and that was the beginning of this war. Satan means the adversary, and the main one he's an adversary of is God, working at cross-purposes with God. And according to the Bible, what's happened is that human beings, by our own volition, as a race and individually, we have been co-opted into this war. We have been caught in the crossfires of this war. In fact, according to the Bible, this earth is in really sorry shape. You may have noticed that it's somewhat screwed up. Uh, You see a lot of good things around the world, a lot of glorious things that point to God, but there's a whole lot that happens in this world that clearly doesn't point to God. Uh, It's because this this world, in fact, is caught in the crossfire of this warfare. Uh, It's in a desperate situation. In fact, as the Bible describes it, this world has been seized uh, by the enemy of God, by Satan. He is called in Scripture the God of this age. Satan is called the God of this age. He's called the principality and power, the primary principality and power of the air uh, in Ephesians chapter 2. He's called by Jesus the ruler of this world. 
in John chapter 12, 14, and 16. He is said to own all the kingdoms of this world in Luke chapter 4. In fact, in 1 John, it goes so far as to say that the entire world is controlled by the evil one. Now, I, I want us to just sort of sober up to that reality. That's how the Bible depicts the situation of this earth. There is this war going on, and as it is right now, we are stationed behind enemy lines because the authority that we were supposed to have over the earth, we've surrendered to the Satan, the Satan, the adversary. And uh, uh, now there is this strong, cosmic, polluting force of evil that affects and to some degree corrupts everything. We just got to know that. And again, it's not a physical war where you can see the bombs and you can see the bullets, but it's a real war nonetheless. According to the Bible, Jesus came into this world primarily as a military strategy. I talk about this a lot in my book, God at War, as a military strategy. Again, most American Christians uh, define uh, what God did strictly in terms of what it does for them. It, you know, it frees us from our sin. And that's a true thing. But from a biblical perspective, a whole lot more was going on than just uh, forgiving our sin. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 that the reason why the Son of God was manifested was to destroy the devil and his works. It says in Hebrews chapter 2 that Jesus appeared to destroy the one who had the keys of death, that is, Satan. There was something cosmic going on with the incarnation. God was, in principle, dealing a death blow to his archenemy, the one he's been warring against throughout all of history. And his military objective in coming into this world was to uh, deal a death blow to Satan and begin to free those who were under his bondage. That is you and that is me. It says this in, in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is responding to a criticism here, and he says, If it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons then the kingdom of God has come to you. If what I'm doing is for real, if what I'm doing is by the power of God, then this is evidence that the kingdom of God has come to you. The word kingdom there simply refers to the dome, any dome in which someone is king. A kingdom is the place where that person is king. And so the kingdom of God is the dome in which God is king. And Jesus, by virtue of being God incarnate, comes and he brings the dome in which God is king. He plants it like a mustard seed in the ground, Jesus says in Matthew 13, and it begins to grow, it begins to expand. The dome in which God is king begins to expand, which means it comes against, it conflicts with, it wars against the dome in which Satan is king. Jesus came to, to plant and begin to spread the dome in which God is king against the dome in which Satan is king and in the process free us who were under the dome in which Satan is king and bring us into the dome in which God is king. It says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, that we've been transported from the domain of Satan to the domain of the Son of God when we said yes to Jesus Christ. Now note also in this verse it says this. Jesus said, how can... How can anyone enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man? Then indeed the house can be plundered. The teaching really summarizes what Jesus came to do. He came and by his ministry and by his death and by his resurrection, he tied up the strong man. Someone stronger than the strong man had to come into the house in order to, to do this. The Bible says that through his ministry, through his death, and through his resurrection, he has in principle defeated the devil. He has in principle disarmed the devil. 
He has in principle won victory over the devil, and he has, therefore, to all who will say yes to it, freed us from the oppression of the devil. Praise God, that's what he came to do. But now I want you to notice this. As is usually the case, God, he prefers not to act unilaterally. He's a social God, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and almost everything he does, he does through mediators. And so when it comes to taking back the earth uh, that belongs to him, he doesn't want to do it all himself. He takes the former slaves of the enemy, those who are oppressed by the enemy, and he equips us and empowers us and dwells within us and commissions us to now finish up the work that he began on the cross. Or rather, I should say, to apply the victory that he's already won on the cross and apply it to every area of the house that is not yet taken back. The Lord ties up the strong men, and then he whistles and he says, Come on, kids, plunder the house. Take back what the enemy stole. It means amen, amen. He's empowered us to do it. Everything that is under the dome in which Satan is king, God wants back to be brought within the dome in which he is king. He did that in principle on the cross of Jesus Christ, but now he empowers us, all who say yes to him, to finish up the task. It means this. The church is a military church. It's an army. The first word that Jesus ever spoke about the church, the first time he mentions the word church, ecclesia, which, by the way, does not refer to a building, but it refers to a people. It means called out ones. All those he calls out. The first thing he says about it is this. It's in Matthew chapter 16. I tell you, you are Peter, which means little rock or rock-like. And on this rock, on, on this rock, the boulder, the boulder refers back to the thing that G- Peter had just said when he says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon the rock of the divinity and the lordship of Jesus Christ, I will build my church. And here's the first thing you've got to know about the church. This is our mission. This is our Magna Carta. This is our charter. This is what uh, we are to be doing. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. For I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. First thing Jesus says is this. You're going to be the church, and here's what the church is going to do. Here's my promise. Because I'm building it and it's built on me, the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, uh, cannot prevail against it. Some people take that to mean, oh good, we have assurance. We're so prone to interpret the Bible in terms of our need for self-security. So we interpret everything as a security promise. Oh good, I'm safe. I can hide right here behind my church. I'll stay right inside of here. And those mean, nasty, dirty gates of hell won't be able to get me. No way. They won't prevail against me. I'm going to stand on this promise and I'm safe and secure as long as I stay here. Hogwash. Gates, as I've said many times before, gates are not offensive weapons that you use against an enemy. Gates are defensive structures that you use to keep an enemy out. So when Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against you, he's not saying we're going to be safe and secure from those mean, nasty gates. You don't attack an enemy with gates, unless you're doing some kind of Monty Python movie or something, I suppose. You, you, what he's saying here is this. You, church, you're going to be the ones storming the gates of hell. You're going to be battering down the gates of hell. You're going to be a bunch of hell raisers. You're going to be looking for trouble. You're going to be stirring up trouble. And my promise is this. Trouble can't resist you. It it, it won't be able to fight back. Why? Because I'm giving you the keys. And the keys of the dome in which God is king are the keys that are also against the dome in which Satan is king. So whatever you bind will be bound, and whatever you loose will be loosed. That's the authority that we have in Jesus.
Jesus Christ. The church is called to be an army that is consistently looking. We're, we're guerrilla warriors, special, special missions, uh, a special missions unit that is stationed behind enemy lines. We've got to see ourselves like this. And we have an assignment to complete the task of our commanding officer, our general, and to be wherever we find things that are uh, not under the dome in which God is king, we're to bring them under the dome in which God is king. We do it with our thoughts, we do it with our hearts, we do it with our attitude, we do it with our behavior, we do it with our family, we do it with our employment, we do it with our, our neighbor, wherever we go, whoever we see, whatever condition they're in. Our job as soldiers in the army of Jesus Christ is to take back what belongs to God, to take every thought captive, as the Bible says, captive to Jesus Christ. When we find deception, we're to bind it and unleash the truth of God, Amen. When we find oppression, we're to bind it and le- uh, unleash the liberation of God. When we find, when we find uh, uh, oppression, we're to uh, bind it. And when we find hatred, we're to bind it and release the love of God. And when we find condemnation, we're to bind it and unleash the forgiveness of God. Wherever we go, we're to bind whatever does not belong to God and unleash the power of God. Whether we're talking about in our own minds or in our own hearts or in our families or in our church or in our society, we are to be kingdom warriors who are binding uh, all that uh, is not consistent with God to see his will done on earth as it is in heaven. And so I'm here to tell you, welcome to the army. You're in the army. with a military unit. You belong to this platoon. Paul says this in 2 in Timothy chapter 2. He says, share in suffering like a good soldier of, of Christ Jesus. Now, you see these civilians, they're always trying to avoid suffering. They want to avoid conflict. They think they're on vacation. You know, they, they don't know what's really going on. But like a good soldier, don't do that. Don't think like a civilian. No, no, like a good soldier, you, you, you uh, uh, share the burden of the warfare. How can you storm the gates of hell unless you're willing to share the burden of it? And then he says, no one serving in the army gets entangled in everyday affairs, or the term could be translated in civilian affairs, in common affairs. Rather, the soldier's aim is to please the enlisting officer. Now, the picture that you, you get out of that is, is something like this. When Paul's talking uh, to uh, here the, the Christians at Ephesus, he knows that, that they, they see military soldiers all around them. Romans always had guards stationed all over the place. When, the, when Rome would conquer a country, they'd leave as much of the government in place as possible, but they'd station units all around there. Soldiers stationed in a foreign country. And the job of those soldier, soldiers stationed in a foreign country was not to, get, uh, not to forget the fact that they are citizens of Rome before the citizens of that country. And not to get so involved in the affairs of, of the land and the details of the land and the politics of the land that they forget that their objective, their reason for be, being stationed there is to please, to follow the charter, the mandate, the commands of, of the officer who enlisted them. And so Paul says, you know what, we believers, we are soldiers that are stationed in a foreign land. We are, the Bible says, citizens of heaven before we're citizens of the U.S. or Iraq or any other country in my name. And uh, our job here is not to become defined by the values of the culture in which we're stationed. We're stationed behind enemy, uh, we're we're in enemy-occupied territory. The values are not going to be ones that would please our commanding officer. Don't get so involved in, in the issues of the culture and the affairs of the culture and the thinking of the culture and the lifestyle of the culture that you forget what you're stationed to do, what you're commissioned to do. Our job is always to please the enlisting army. So again I say, welcome to the army. Welcome to the army, soldier. Uh, you've been enlisted. You've been recruited. Uh, you are part of the army. So soldier, as the person in charge of this particular p- platoon, I will tell you, This ain't no picnic, what'd you think?
This isn't a picnic. This is not some kind of religious bless me club. This isn't the kind of place where you're just here to, like some kind of religious fast food chain where you can have it the way you want it and order it as you please it and everything's got to be centered around you and you're going to get it just the way you like it, how you like it, when you like it, on the time that you like it. No, this isn't about you. It's not about fulfilling your wishes. This is the army for crying out loud. Welcome to the army, soldier. Yes, sir. Yes, sir an army. Now some people understandably get nervous when you talk this way. <laughs> I want all the guys to shave their heads right now. You know. I don't know what I believe of you. Know. Uh, they get nervous understandably because there's a lot of weird talk out there that combines military and religious things, isn't there? The Hezbollah, the army of Allah, uh, the jihad or whatever. You know, there, there's you know, people, you know, in the name of spiritual warfare, drive planes in the buildings. Doesn't that make you a little bit nervous? And here we're talking about being the army of God. And it's not just an Islamic thing. No, there's plenty of Christian militant type thinking people around that are pretty scary. And the name of righteousness declare war against certain groups of people and certain organizations. And, and, and uh, you know, out of a center of hatred and the center of wrath and out of a center of self-righteousness, do a lot of nasty things. There's a strand of that kind of militant thinking in evangelicalism where they declare war on, uh, you know, the ACLU or whatever particular group they want to feed off of to feel righteous over and against. So they're going to go after the, the homosexuals or they're going to go after the feminists or they're going to go after the liberal Democrats for crying out loud or, or those who oppose gun control or whatever. They got their own list and the lists differ from group to group. But they fight war like the world fights war. And I think that operating out of a center of self-righteousness and anger, uh, you know, that that's somehow God's, God's way of thinking. And so understandably, some people get nervous when you start using military talk in the context of church. But look at I, I don't want to back off of the military talk because the war is real. And, what's, and we're, the soldiers are real. But what we need to understand is that, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, we don't wage war like the world wages war. Uh-uh. Altogether different. We don't, our, the weapons of our warfare, Paul says, they're not carnal, but they're spiritual to the, to the tearing down of strongholds. We don't fight like the world fight. It's absolutely uh, the opposite of that. The ACLU and any other people group that you might ever think of, they're not the enemy. The ACLU and any other group that you might think of is not, I said, the enemy. They are the ones that we are fighting for. They are the ones every person you see is uh, someone for whom Jesus died. They have got unsurpassable worth. They are not the enemy. Paul says this in in Ephesians chapter 6. For our struggle, our warfare is not against flesh and blood. If it's flesh and blood, that's not what you're fighting against. That's what you're fighting for. Our struggle is not against uh, flesh and blood. Our enemies are not uh, uh, blood and flesh, but against rulers and authorities, against cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Every person we see, every person we come in contact with, I don't care what, they're, what they stand for, what they re- represent, I don't care how you disagree with it, you've got to know that they're the ones you're fighting for. They're part of the house that we are to take back for Jesus Christ. And the way that we do it, the way that we do it is not by fighting like the world fights. Uh, it, it's not by getting a, a righteous indignation and an anger towards them and a wrath and trying to conquer and, 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 and to overpower them or whatnot. We fight the way Jesus fought. And how did Jesus fight? Look what he did when he was arrested. 
He fought, he won, he dealt the death blow to the enemy by doing the the opposite of what the enemy does. The enemy is about hate. The enemy is about wrath. The enemy is about retaliation. And there's plenty of that already going on in the world. People don't need the church to contribute their peace. But Jesus does the opposite of all that when he dies on the cross of Calvary for those who were really his enemies. We further the dome in which God is king when we, when we spread the attitude and the disposition and the truth of who God is against all that is lying, against all that is deceptive. We, further, we, we wage war by outrageous acts of love when we imitate and replicate what Jesus did on the cross of, of Calvary. Amen? It's when we love outrageously those who are unlovable, when we care about those the world doesn't care about, when we serve those who think that they are our enemy, when we're willing to sacrifice for those who wouldn't think we'd give them the time of day, when we're willing to lay down our life and go the extra mile and turn the other cheek and swim upstream in this culture and break out of the the retaliation herd mentality and uh, adopt the mind of Jesus Christ and the heart of Jesus Christ. Now we are warriors in the kingdom of God. We don't wage war like the, war, like the world does, and our enemies are not flesh and blood. If you've got a redneck streak in you, then, then shoot in the right direction for crying out loud. Don't shoot at the people. You know, getting mad at the principalities and powers, the system of racism and systems of oppression and the systems of injustice and the systems of deception that are keeping people in bondage. That's what we're warring against. These are the people that we're, out, we're rat, madly in love with that we're trying to win for the Lord. So understood in the right context. Uh, understood as the right warfare, understood uh, in, the right, in the right framework, the military thinking is, is, is good and necessary and absolutely true. We just got to keep it distinct from the way that the world does war. Now, what does it mean to be a soldier of Jesus Christ enlisted in the warfare? It means a lot of things. Let me just say this, because I'm going to run out of time here in a little bit. I'm getting eloquent here this morning. It means that your main goal, as Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, your main goal is to please your enlisting officer. You never forget who enlisted you. You never forget who saved you. You never forget who called you. You never forget who stationed you. So you never forget what your purpose in life is. It's always to please your enlisting officer. Now, here's the thing. There's a part of us that is, this is already part of the war. The struggle involves ourselves. We are, to a large degree, conditioned by our culture, conditioned by this fallen world. That part of us that agrees with the world, the Bible calls the flesh. The flesh hates this. It's absolutely opposed to this. The flesh, the carnal, fallen, deceptive nature, wants to ask the question, what pleases me? It doesn't want to ask the question, what pleases my commanding officer? There is a... Uh, a tendency towards absolute self-centeredness that characterizes the world. And in this culture, it's absolutely rampant. In fact, in this culture, asking any other question other than what pleases me is experienced by some people as being like a a fundamental violation of, of your humanity, of your rights, of your personhood. The motto of our culture, and we got to know this because it shows you how radically different we are going to be thinking if we're thinking along kingdom lines as opposed to our culture's lines. The motto of our culture is basically this. If I want it, if it pleases me, and if I can get it, if I can afford it, then I deserve it. And there's really no other question to ask. I want it. I can get it. I get it. What pleases me? And we default to that line of, of questioning. 
I want sex with who I want, how I want, when I want. I can have sex with who I want, when I want, how I want. I deserve sex with who I want, when I want, how I want. And don't bring in any other criteria about what's going to disciple my behavior. No, I have a right to do what I want, when I want, how I want. I, I, I like the house. I can afford the house. I get the house, of course. I like the car. I can afford the car. I get the car. I like the clothes. I can afford the clothes. I get the clothes. I like this behavior. I can afford this behavior. I'm going to do this behavior. I like this entertainment. I can afford this entertainment. I'm going to have this entertainment. Don't ask any other questions. That's the motto of our culture. It's our default setting. But see, to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ, as, as one who's enlisted in the, in, in, in the army, means that you recognize that that kind of talk is civilian talk. That kind of thinking is civilian thinking. That kind of living is civilian living. Uh, and we are called to, a, uh, to march to a different drummer, to raise a, an entirely different kind of question. The question that the soldier asks is basically this, Lord, what do you will in my life? Uh, and, uh, several months ago, our small group, we've been talking a lot about racial issues and justice issues and, and, and uh, things of that sort. And we had a friend of mine come over to our, our small group, Tim Essenberg. He teaches at, at Bethel College, and he, he teaches economics. And so he was going to talk about some economics, but we also wanted to kind of pick his brain about some decisions he's made in his life. We wanted to know more specifically why he chose to live in the Phillips neighborhood in Minneapolis. He's got a good job. Uh, you know, and, and, and he, he could have lived anywhere he wanted to and, and, you know, nice, at least upper middle class kind of a thing, but he chose to live in this neighborhood, and so we asked him why. And his answer was so kingdom-like. His answer was just this. Well, it seems to me that to name Jesus Christ, to say Jesus Christ is your Lord means everything you do has to be on purpose and, uh, and, and uh, under his directive. And so I, we wanted to choose where we live on purpose. Now, the default setting in our culture is, do you like it? Can you afford it? And location, location, location. You know, location, location, location. That's all you need to think about. Uh, but what Tim was saying is that that's not all you have to think about. Well, you should think about location, 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 but not just in terms of what's convenient for me, but in terms of, Lord, where do you want to place me? And Tim said, I'm not saying everyone's supposed to do this. This isn't a rule that everyone's supposed to follow. Everyone's got to get their own directives. But for me and for my wife and for my three kids, my three biological kids and my three adopted kids, we believe that this is where God would want us to be. It fits into the purpose, the intentionality of what we're supposed to do in the kingdom of God, to be in this diverse neighborhood, to pour our money into this neighborhood, uh, our tax uh, base into this neighborhood. It's where God called lead us, uh, where God called us, led us to, to be. So we need to ask the question. See, that's a great example of what I'm talking about. Bring intentionality and purpose to all that we do. Normally, our intentionality doesn't go any bigger than, do I want it and can I afford it? But the kingdom would say that there's a more fundamental question to ask, and that is, does it please my enlisting officer? When my wife and I bought our house, I think we had more kingdom principles than the average American has. We looked at, you know, uh, how much should we spend on ourselves and how much should we give? But when it came to buying our house, it was basically, do we like it, can we afford it, and is it a nice location? So we got it. But we've begun to be asking this question, Lord, what purpose does this serve in terms of us fulfilling the objective that you've given to us? And you know what? Our house doesn't fit into it any longer. It did for a while, but now the Lord's leading us in a different direction. We feel like we're supposed to begin to swim upstream and move towards the city. That's not something that is a rule that everyone's supposed to do, but, but it's something that we feel the Lord leading us to do. 
And everyone, no one can judge someone else for how they're living and whether they're obeying the Lord or not. Read Romans 14. Everyone's got to answer to God on their own. But what I'm saying here is this. The question that must be first and foremost in our life is, Lord, does this please you? Does it fit into your will? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, Jesus said. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now our flesh, this self-centered, narcissistic, materialistic aspect of us, It hates that question. It experiences the question, Lord, what do you will, as bondage. And the reason is because we've been conditioned by a lie that says that freedom is found when we ask the question, uh, does it please me and can I afford it? That's that's freedom, why? To get all you can get. To to just, you know, of course you acquire as much as you can acquire and climb up the totem pole of the social ladder as high as you can climb. That's, That's the American dream for crying out loud. That's what you're supposed to do. That's freedom. But the Bible says that is bondage. That is bondage. Freedom happens when you ask the more fundamental question, and that is this. Lord, not my will, but thine be done. What is your will for my life regarding this? What's the purpose of my house, of my car, of my activity, of my thinking, of my behavior, of my attitudes? What purpose do they serve? Do they fit into the military objective or not? With regard to everything in our life, we ask that question. Lord, what's your intentionality? What's your will? What's your purpose? And don't get weird on me here. I'm not saying that you're supposed to do intercessory prayer over what box of cereal you're supposed to eat on a particular morning. People do that sometimes. They, oh, don't, don't, you know, you drive your officer nuts. Anthony would drive his officer nuts if he was saying, you know, do you want me to tie my shoe this way or that way? The officer would say, you figure it out. And sometimes God just says, listen, you choose whatever cereal you want. But I'm talking about our life issue, our basic lifestyle, to submit it to the Lord and say, Lord, what is your intentionality? What is your purpose? And when we ask that question, something is unleashed in you that never otherwise would be unleashed. Like Anthony found in the military, there is, uh, you only become all that you can be and discover what life's really all about. When you live in that question rather than the cultural question of, of, of what's in it for me. Jesus said that when you lose your life, you will find it. But if you try to find your life, you will lose it. The way to find your life is to die to that flesh self. Die to that self-centered way of living. Die to that insatiable hunger to acquire more things. When you live in that question, there's a perpetual hunger and a perpetual frustration and a perpetual anxiety that will, to some degree, characterize your, your life. You're living in that mode. But when you die to that, When you die to that series of questions and live as a soldier in the army of Jesus Christ stationed in foreign land, enemy-occupied territory, and you're always seeking to please your commanding officer, now there is something unleashed. I got a picture of this. Bizarre one, but it it goes like this. You see those those commercials uh, that were shown in the Super Bowl two years ago? well, these Pepsi commercials, and two people are talking, and you're talking like a janitor, and all of a sudden the janitor unzips himself, you know, and he's like, it turns out he's a suit, and out of him steps Britney Spears, and then Britney Spears unzips herself, and out of her steps, if you didn't see the commercial, you probably have no idea what I'm talking about. But see, there's an outer you and an inner you. The outer you is, is sort of like this. It's, it's, it's the false you. It's the you that wants to do the American thing and fit in with the herd and live life uh, with as much comfort and convenience as possible. But there's a truer you. It's a warrior you. It's a lion you. And it wants to get out. Your flesh is afraid of it. It wants to suppress it. You try to ignore it. 
Uh, you know, and, and one of the reasons why we, we experience life as being boring sometimes or people get involved in, in affairs or, or, you know, they, they drink too much and, and they try to dry and drown all things. There's a multitude of symptoms of this. And they result from the fact that there's a warrior inside us who's saying, man, I was made to fight. I was made to get involved in the action. I was made to be living on the edge. But we're trying to do the middle-of-the-road, standard, mishmash, uh, self-centered American thing. And this warrior's frustrated, so he finds dysfunctional ways to manifest themselves or you try to drown them all with a drink or something else like that. What I'm saying here this morning is unzip it. Unzip it. And the zipper, the zipper is, is the question, Lord, what pleases you? Lord, what pleases you? What, what is the purpose for this? What is the purpose of that? How does this fit into your will? Do you want this in my life? And as you're doing that, you are unzipping something very, very powerful inside of you. To be all you can be, you've got to get involved in the army and submit yourself to the commanding officer. And out of you will come the life, the real you, the life that God wanted you to live. It's that abundant life. It's that spirit-filled life. It's that more-than-conquering life. It's that radical you. There's a part of you that just does not like the middle of the road at all. You know, maybe it's really distant in your life, but if you unzip yourself, you'll find it. That living on the edge part of you, that wild part of you, that, that you know, let, let's just abandon ourselves. Let's, it's a good day to die part of you. That part of you that wants to be all that you can be. Living as God wanted you to live is there, but you got to unzip it. And the way to unzip it is to live in the question, not my will but thine, what do you will, Lord? You're a commanding officer, soldier. You have one objective in life. You want your life to be meaningful. There's a part of you that's dying to, be, to, to have significance. And there's a part of you that knows that everything else you could do in this American culture is insignificant. It's insignificant. You want your life to count? Join the army. Put off your civilian clothes. Put on military clothes. Amen. Amen. Put off civilian thinking. Put on some military thinking. Put off civilian attitudes. Put on military attitudes. And seek to please your commanding officer. I close with this. If you want to join the army this morning, you've never surrendered to the general Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to. There'll be some people over in this corner by this table who will be glad to enlist you. Uh, You will begin to be all you can be when you do that. I encourage you, if you've never done it, join the army. Accept the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Let him enlist you in the warfare and watch what's going to happen. Number two, soldiers who are already soldiers in the army, I want to dare you, I dare you, as the person in charge of this particular platoon who's got to answer for what I do with this platoon, I dare you. Now, this works for me. I don't know if it works for, for you. I, I, I never pass up a dare. Oh, yeah? I dare you to live in this question. Now, it may mean you're going to lose your house. Yeah, so what? You might lose the car. You know, you, you, you might find all of a sudden the Lord doing some radical things. But you know what? It gets really, really exciting when you start breaking out of the herd, when you start doing different stuff. Now, I can't tell you how God's going to lead you, and you can't tell me how God's going to lead me. God will tell you how he wants to lead you, but I dare you to start looking at everything in your life, saying, Lord, how does this fit into your will? Forget the cereal, all right? But I'm talking about the major stuff and submit it to the Lord. Let me close with this prayer. Close your eyes. Father, help us to unzip the warrior inside, the lion inside, the soldier created in the likeness of Christ Jesus. Help us to to swim upstream against the strong, deceptive current of our culture and be soldiers who are sold off for Jesus Christ. Help us to live in that question, Lord. What do you will? What do you will? What's your purpose? Help us to bring a purpose to all of our life that's bigger than just do I want it and can I afford it? Give us a boldness to do the countercultural thing, the kingdom thing, the warrior thing instead of the civilian thing. 
as we leave this place and go out to spread the dome in which you are king against the dome in which Satan is king. And we do it in Jesus' name. And all the soldiers said, Amen. Go out. Be bold. Do mighty exploits. Love you. The uh, altar is open if you want to come forward for prayer. And if you want to join the army, over in that corner. God bless.